I've made it a daily prayer of mine. God, would you thwart the plans of wicked and evil men? And would you stop Satan from, from doing his work? Because you just see all around us. It seems like evil's winning, doesn't it? And then you couple that with the natural disasters that we're seeing more and more frequently happen. And, and you think, well, maybe that's just me. Or maybe maybe I'm just taking things out of context. But here's a, a couple charts for you. I'm a chart graph kind of guy. Here's a, a plot of recent earthquake earthquake activity, 7.0 or higher. And you can see the trend in the last couple of decades. They're happening more and more frequently. And then I've got another chart for you. This is, uh, these are uh, catastrophic floods. And, and just over the years, you can see again the trend is it's happening more and more frequently. And so we couple that with what we think we see and hear. And we realize, wow, there's something. It feels like something's coming. And then it's leading to something very, uh, very big. And in fact, it is. And so today, what we're going to do is build a foundation for understanding the end times and kind of how it all kicks off. And if you're not a Christian, you're sitting here this morning, you're going to say, uh, that's kind of weird to talk about what hasn't happened yet. Like we already know what's going to happen. Well, what you need to understand is about 25% of your Bible is prophecy where God predicts the future. And in the Old Testament, God made all kinds of predictions, and they sounded really weird to people. Like, that can't happen. That's not going to happen unless God intervenes. And then God intervened, and they happened. And it caused people to have faith that God was saying the truth. You also need to understand there's five times more prophecy in the New Testament and in the Old Testament about Jesus' second coming than His first coming. And so we're going to be looking at the, some of those prophecies today and the next couple of weeks. Lots of kind of interpretations. People are all over the map with those. Guess what? You get to get mine. All right. Lucky you. Uh, so this week, we're going to lay a foundation for how the end begins. Next week, I know it's Valentine's Day. Listen. And I know it's what? President's Day that Monday. And I know you got time off of school, but you don't want to miss this. We're going to talk about what happens after Christ's return and the judgments that are to come and what those are like and what heaven's like. And then the third week, we're going to, we're going to take on a crazy task. We're going to go through the whole breadth of revelation in one Sunday. That third week is going to be crazy. I know I'm stupid. We're going to do it anyway. All right. So that's what we got going for us. So as we begin to lay a foundation, we're going to actually turn to the book of first Thessalonians. First Thessalonians, starting in uh, chapter 4, verse 13. And as you turn there, if you can look on the screens, what, what the context is, is the Christians in that town, Thessalonica, the believers there were convinced Jesus was coming back soon. Like not someday, but like Tuesday. That he was coming back immediately. And they were concerned about that. They were also concerned about the people that had come to know Christ and had, had passed away. What were, what was their state? Where were they at? What was happening to them? And so Paul was inspired to write to them and tell them this. He says, brothers and sisters, we do not want you to be uninformed about those who are in sleep and death so that you do not grieve like the rest of mankind who have no hope. For we believe that Jesus died and rose again. And so we believe that God will bring with Jesus those who have fallen asleep with him. According to the Lord's word, we tell you that the we who are still alive, who are left until the coming of the Lord, will certainly not precede those who have fallen asleep. 
For the Lord himself will come down from heaven with a loud command and with the voice of an archangel and with a trumpet call of God. And the dead in Christ will rise first. After that, we who are still alive and are left will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will be with the Lord forever. Therefore, encourage one another with these words. You say, why did God have that in the Bible? He wrote that, it's clear, to encourage us. Look, you see all these things happening around you and you question and you wonder. And God says, listen, the world is not out of control. Things are happening, things are unfolding. The grand scheme of things are happening the way I intended. In fact, this morning, just want to give you three reasons why as believers we can have hope in today's times. The first reason we can have great hope is the return. You have some notes you can fill in the blanks if you like. The return of Christ. That Christ is coming again. Anybody excited about that? Christ is coming again. And here, in fact, Jesus had said that in the passage that he would come back. Uh, But it also says this in John chapter 14. Jesus himself says, And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me that you also may be where I am. Jesus says, I'm coming back. I will return. In fact, the the early church was so excited about that notion that Jesus was coming back. He had gone up to heaven in the clouds and some of them saw him do that. They probably were outside looking and waiting for him to return. It was that much on their mind. And so their greeting in the early church was about his return. Now, when you and I see each other on a Sunday morning, we're like, sup, right? That's our greeting. How you doing? Fine. Okay. Theirs was different. Then their greeting was Maranatha. Maranatha means the Lord is coming. So they would greet each other and say, Maranatha, the Lord is coming. He's coming back. Aren't you excited? And that's how they would greet one another. They knew that he was coming back and they anticipated it. In fact, the Bible uh, describes a crown. We're going to talk more about the crowns of reward next week and the judgment. Uh, but there's a crown of reward specifically for uh, someone that is longing for his return. The problem is not too many of us are going to get that crown. Because we seem to be so in love with this world. And so caught up in its activity that we don't long for the the Lord's return and long to see him come back and bring in his kingdom like we ought to. I know I get caught up in that sometimes and you may too. In fact, I remember a time in my life where I was praying he wouldn't come back. You ever had those moments? Now, let me set the scene. It was 1995 and I was engaged to my lovely bride. And we were saving ourselves for... What you save yourself for in marriage when, you know what I'm saying? And I was really looking forward to the wedding and the honeymoon in particular and all that afterwards. And I believe in kind of a young earth and I thought the earth was like four or five thousand years old and, and then two thousands coming and I thought, well, God, the number six big in the Bible and seven. And so maybe my math's a little fuzzy. Maybe he'll come back. Maybe he's using a Jewish calendar somewhere or another. Maybe he's going to come back before I get a chance to, you know. And so I'm like, Lord, hold off just a little bit longer. Well, verse 14, he says this. 
There's some things about his coming that we need to know. First of all, that, that he says that he'll be bringing with Jesus those who have fallen asleep. Now, that's not people that have had a long night at Winter Jam and can't keep their eyes open in a church service. Can I get an amen? There you are. Okay. What he's talking about is those who have passed away. It's a poetical way of saying those who have died. And he says he'll be bringing those who have died in Christ with him when he returns. And then he says the, re- the way he comes, this is so cool. He's going to come with a loud command or a shout. Now think about this for a second. When he spoke, the world came into existence. And when he whispers, the earth trembles. But when he comes back, he's going to shout. Because when the final victory is being realized, it's worth shouting about. And the whole world will shake at the power and the majesty of our God returning in the flesh. It's going to be awesome. It also says this when he returns. It says the dead will rise. And what you need to understand, there's actual two different resurrections that are going to happen. And when he comes back, the first resurrection is for Christians. Those Christians that will be raised from the dead. The second resurrection is for non-believers. People that have never trusted Christ. The Christians get to go to this thing called the judgment seat of Christ. And we'll be talking about that next week. And they will receive reward for what they have done for Christ. The other, the non-Christians, what they have to look forward to is the great white throne judgment. And it's a place of condemnation. Here he's describing the first resurrection. In fact, uh, Revelation 26 says this. Blessed and holy are those who share in the first resurrection, the second death has no power over them. See, the first resurrection is the one you and I want to be in. It's the one for the believer and where the second death has no power over you. Now, what does that mean, second death? I've heard it said that you can be born once and die twice. Or you can be born twice and die once. What do you mean by that? Well, you can be born once. That's when you pop out and the the doctor slaps you and he hands you to mama, right? And when that happens, there will be a day that you pass and you go into the grave. And then after that, that's the first death. The second death is when you would stand before God and there would be condemnation on you. Because your life would be weighed and it would be found wanting. But the good news is, is you don't have to go that road. You can be born twice and only die once. Well, how does that work? Well, you come out of the, ba- the, the, ba- the doctor slaps you and hands you to mama, the same thing. But then Jesus said in the conversation with Nicodemus in John chapter 3, he says, listen, a man must be born again. Not only physically on the outside, but be born spiritually on the inside. And when Jesus Christ is invited into your life, He can make that dead thing in your heart new again. Your soul becomes alive and you're not born just once physically, but you're born against, again, spiritually. And so then when you die physically, you never have to die spiritually. You live forever with God. That sounds pretty good, doesn't it? You ever heard the phrase, YOLO, you only live once. That's, you always say that right before you do something really stupid, right? Well, you only live once, and off you go. Well, that's good, that's all right. But what about YODO? You only die once. 
That's what a believer has to look forward to. That's the hope that we can have that this world, even though it's in decay and our bodies will pass, that we don't have to fear a second death and eternity because we have been born twice and will only die once and never face the condemnation. So, Christ is coming again. Let me say it again. Christ will return. He's coming back to claim His own. He says, I'm going to go somewhere and I'm going to come back and I'll take you to be where I am. Let those words encourage you and comfort you no matter where you are in the situation you're in or how desperate or much despair you might have. Christ will come and set things in order. He's coming back for you who believe. Praise God. So we don't have to fear. The second reason we don't have to fear is not only is there a return, there's this thing called the rapture that's going to happen. The rapture. That's when living Christians are taken away. In fact, in verse 17, he says this. He said that we'll be caught up together with them in the clouds. Where Jesus is coming down and the dead come up and then those who are still alive will be caught up together in the air. Now that word in the original language is harpazo. That means to be snatched. To be caught up in the, in the Latin language, it's the word that we get the word rapture for. That's why we get the word the rapture. It means to be seized or to snatched or caught up. You ever been snatched from somewhere? I have. I'll never forget when I got snatched off the Appalachian Trail. It was about 10 years ago and, uh, three buddies of mine and I went on a four day hike. Well, a couple of days before we went on the journey, we had, this was 10 years ago, so my, my grown up looking daughter there was four, okay? And they all got the stomach bug. You ever been in that house in that family? Everybody got the stomach bug. That's what we were doing. It was two days before my trip, and Gabriel and I were like, oh, thank God we didn't get sick. We kept waiting to get sick. We didn't get sick. We're like, awesome. I'm gonna go on my trip. You're not sick. I'm not sick. I think it's past. One day, I found out later, one day into the trip, Gabriel gets sick. Second day on the trail, I get sick. And I'm hiking and I'm puking. <laughs> and I'm hiking and I'm puking. And I get to the tent and I, we, some miracle of God on the Appalachian Trail, we finally put our tent down and we have cell phone coverage. <laughs> I'm like, thank you, Lord. And at two in the morning, I called my dad and said, Dad, come get me. Come get me. And he came. He drove all night and he rescued me from that miserable state that I was in. And he gave me crackers. (laughs) And I loved him for it. And he took me home. He rescued me in that, that moment of trial. He snatched me out of that, that place that I needed to get out of. Guys, I've got really good news for the church today. Jesus will come back and he's going to harpazo. He's going to rescue you and snatch us away from the trouble. Man, that's good news. Now listen. There's four different views on when he does that. And I just want to be clear on this. There, what some people call the pre-tribulation rapture, where Christ comes back before it gets really bad. Uh, the mid-tribulation rapture, it actually gets worse in the second half of a seven-year period called the tribulation. Some believe he comes back right in the middle before it gets really bad. And that's called pre-trib. you got post-trib rapture, where he comes back at the end of all that. And then you got pan-trib, which means it all pans out at the end. And it don't really matter. 
Well, can I tell you, I'm just going to, I believe because of passages like this, that it's going to be a pre-tribulation rapture. That's just my view on it, okay? In God's goodness, that he would come and rescue us before the trouble hits. He would rescue us out of his wrath and the pain that's coming. That God is so good that he would come and get his own. In fact, listen to what Jesus said in Matthew 24. He said, that is how it will be at the coming of the Son of Man. Two men will be in the field. One will be taken and the other one left. Two women will be grinding with a handmill. One will be taken and the other left. So you also must be ready. Because the Son of Man will come at an hour when you do not expect Him. He's saying, listen, I'm coming back and you're going to be taken away. So you've got to be ready. It's going to be when you don't expect it. I mean, this is serious stuff. This is like two people sitting at the dining room table and one will be taken and the other one left. Two people working in their uh, in their office and at the computers. One computer suddenly empty and the other one is still there. People in a church service and some rows are gone and some are still here. That's what Jesus said is going to happen. And it's very serious stuff. He wants you to be on the right side of that. He wants you to go with him and be where he is always. So if you've never trusted Christ and chosen Christ, that is your decision this morning to put your faith in him. If you're already a believer, listen, we have to live in such a way that we expect his return. That we would live in such a way that when he finds us, he finds us ready and waiting and able to be serving him and loving him and to be ready. Have you ever been doing something or about to do something and you think, oh, I hope he doesn't come back now. Those are the things we rid ourselves of and get rid of and, and do away with so that we, when he returns, he finds us ready. Maranatha. He's coming back. Maranatha. That we would rejoice in his coming. Maranatha. Now, a word of warning to you guys. If any of you are nudies. Any nudies? You know what I'm talking about? Okay, let me break it down. When you go to sleep at night, you either have clothies or nudies. Now you get what I'm talking about? Okay. If anyone here, how many of you wear clothes to bed at night? All right. If you didn't raise your hand, you're disgusting. All right. No, no, no. I'm sorry. There are no perfect people allowed. No condemnation here. But here's the deal. If you're going to do that, okay, keep some clothes next to the bed. All right. So that you're ready for his return. In fact, that's not my idea. Listen to what Jesus said. Revelation 16, 15. Look, I come like a thief. Blessed is the one who stays awake and remains clothed. (laughs) So as not to go naked and be shamefully exposed. See, Jesus said, sleep with your clothes on. He's probably not, he's probably taking that figuratively, not literally, okay? Probably being, being ready to be clothed with righteousness and goodness. But hey, just to be safe, keep your clothes on. Jesus will appear suddenly and quickly to rescue his people from the coming wrath. Can I get an amen on that? That is good news, isn't it? We don't have to fear all that sometimes our heart fears because he will return and he will come and rescue us and snatch us out of harm's way. Praise God. He is so good.
Thirdly, we can have great hope because there is a return and there is a rapture and there is a great and glorious reunion. Listen to this. Christians will be with God forever. You and I, as followers of Jesus Christ, we've placed our faith in Him, then we will be with Him forever. In fact, verses 17 and 18 says, we will meet the Lord in the air. We'll be able to see Him face to face. And our faith will become sight. And all that we hope for, He's going to be more than we imagined. He's going to be better than we ever thought. He's going to be more wonderful and splendid than our hearts and our minds can wrap around. He's going to be more astounding than we give Him credit. He's going to blow us away and we'll get to see Him face to face. Maranatha. The Lord is coming. Now, I really love that thought. We'll get to see him. But what I also love is there's going to be some things that will be no more. There'll be no more pain. There'll be no more sin. There'll be no more heartache. There'll be no more brokenness. No more disease and sickness and poverty and starving children and divorce and loneliness and cancer. All those things will be a faint and distant memory. They will be gone. In fact, Jesus makes this promise in the book of Revelation. He says, if there's any tears to be shed, any hurt in your heart, he will sit with you and he'll wipe every tear from your eye. Praise God. He loves you individually that much. Comfort each other with these words. That's what he said. Whatever you're grieving, whatever your heartache is right now, you can fast forward in your mind to the day where Jesus will explain and comfort and let you cry on his shoulder until there's no more tears. And it's all good. That is his promise to us. So what should we do? He's coming back. What should we do in anticipation of his coming back? Do we need to dig bunkers? stockpile food and ammo. If you do, and this goes down the wrong way, let me in. I mean, please remember your pastor. I don't see any biblical mandate to do any of those things. I don't see any example in the scripture to do any of those things. I'm not saying it's bad or wrong, but here's what it said. It said, encourage each other with these words. And the scripture's very clear. He says, continue to fight the good fight, to finish the race, to complete the task that God has for us, that he's coming back. And if he's coming back, there ought to be an urgency to our lives. There ought to be an urgency to our lives. There ought to be an urgency the way we live in our desire for holiness, that we want to please Him, not because we earn anything from Him, but because He's loved us first and He died on the cross for us, that we might want to live a life pleasing to Him, that when He returns, He says, well done. And there ought to be a great urgency in us to know that there's people, that eternity's hanging in the balance. And unless they hear and see the good news lived out in front of them and spoken to them, they are not going where you and I are going as followers of Jesus Christ. There ought to be an urgency to that. I don't know about you, but the older I get, the more I'm ready for him to come. The more I'm ready for him to come. And there's a lot of different reasons. I mean... Most news stories make me feel this way. 
But there's something that's happening personally to a friend of mine that really makes me long for Christ's return. Some of you know Glenn Sipes. He was an intern at this church. He's a young man, just graduated college. Loves God. Big heart. Huge smile on his face. David and Susan, his parents went here. Lovely people. Glenn's battled cancer three or four times already in his life. And we just found out he's got to have surgery. He's lost sight in his right eye. And they got to cut that eye out. And the tissue around his eye. And they said the prayer request is that they won't damage the optic nerve. And so that he wouldn't lose sight in his other eye. And I think about that. And I just say, Jesus, just come on back. Just come on back. I don't want him to go through that. Pray for Glenn. But Lord, let that be a, let that be a, a reminder to us. Of the brokenness of this world. And the need that it has for this returning Christ. That when he returns that all would be found ready. So what do we do with this? 1 Corinthians 15 is a a dialogue on the return of Christ. And what it's going to be like. And then he kind of wraps up that passage by saying this. Therefore my dear brothers and sisters. Stand firm. Let nothing move you. Always give yourself fully to the work of the Lord because you know that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. What he's saying is this. Keep going. Don't give up. Always keep striving to work for God. If he was coming back next Tuesday and you knew it, how would you live? How would I live my life then? And that's how we are to live our lives Every single day. That's what we do with the knowledge of his return. We change how we live our lives with an urgency, with a, with a dependence, with a passion, with, with a purpose. To love God. To worship him. To sacrifice for him. To serve him. To serve others in his name. Because if he's really coming back, those things make the most sense. Live our lives like that. That's what we do with it. I don't know about you, but I get tricked into forgetting that. I get tricked into thinking that this world is all that there is. I keep thinking that this thing's just going to keep going on and on forever. But the reality is, in an instant, he could return. It could be today. We may not get a Super Bowl. Might not have got back to go to school or work, guys. That'd be all right, wouldn't it? Any moment he could return. But I forget that. We ought to live like he's coming back any moment. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you that in your goodness and your love, you have, you have loved us enough to send your son. Not only once, but you're sending him back again, God, and I praise you for that. God, I pray with the knowledge that your return is imminent. God, that you would give us passion and boldness to live for you. God, as all the believers in this room, we would just dedicate ourselves with a completely different perspective. That we would live with the end in mind. We would live knowing your return is near. God, would you stir up that passion for us to be ready when you return. 
And Father, I know that there's a tension in some hearts this morning because as we've talked about being a follower of Christ and His return, what the thought and the, and the emotion in the heart is, is that I'm not ready. I'm not ready. If Christ were to come back now, that, that thought causes you fear. Because you're thinking, I'm not good enough to meet Him. I'm not good enough to see Him face to face. The answer is no, you will never be good enough. And that's why Jesus Christ came. Because He was good enough. And God, because He was good enough, He's able to, to, to give us life and let us be born again in Him. He wants to write your name in the book of life this morning and transfer you instead of facing the judgment of the great white throne judgment to receive the reward of the judgment seat of Christ and go from hell and death and condemnation to life and freedom in Jesus Christ. If that's you this morning and you want to know Christ as your Savior, the forgiver of your life and the leader of your life without anyone looking around, would you slip your hand up this morning and say, I want to trust Christ this morning. I want to trust Him for my life. I need to know Him. Praise God, I see you. Anyone else, I need to know Christ. I want to receive Him this morning. If that's you this morning, simply tell God, Lord, I need you. I ask that you would forgive me. I believe Jesus came and died and then rose again to give me life. And I'm so grateful that he has. God, thank you for loving me. Come into my life. Oh, God, we rejoice for those who have prayed and asked and trusted you this morning. We give you thanks that your return is near. Maranatha, God, let us anticipate and live life in eager anticipation of your return, God. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.